Hello and welcome once again to another episode of the Reptile Living Room. I'm your host as always, John F. Taylor. And today we're talking about the uh, Fear of Snakes. This is actually our last uh, interview in the series. And uh, and this episode is brought to you by uh, Herpeticulture House, which is a new e-zine out on the market. Uh, if you haven't picked it up yet, you can go to herphousemag.com. That's herphousemag.com and pick up your latest issue. Um, it is produced by the Reptile Apartment Group, which is us. Uh, Reptile Living Room is part of that uh, establishment. And uh, it's basically focused on the content, not the ads. The only uh, advertisements you're going to see in there, folks, are the business card size ads, which are placed there for the authors who actually wrote an article in the magazine itself. So you're not going to get 60 pages of ad and 40 pages of content or anything else like that. You're going to get 99 pages of content and one page of advertisement. So please help us out, support us. It comes out every other month. Um, it's a uh, second issue now, working on the third with uh, some really great people, really great people. Um, in the latest issue, we had Tegus, Azotles, um, Millerite Chameleons, just a really great issue all the way around. But uh, without further ado, like I said, we're going to talk to Randy Babb from the Arizona uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife about uh, his take on the fear of reptiles and uh, whether it's a nurture or nature thing. And... Uh, yeah, so that wraps up this uh, this series, uh, Fear of Snakes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we really, really enjoyed having uh, Dr. Karen Bonder, uh, Dr. Katie McKinnon, as well as uh, David Manley. And uh, now, of course, we have Mr. Randy Babb from the Arizona Fish and Wildlife Department. So tonight we're uh, <clears throat> speaking with Mr. Randy Babb of the Arizona Department of Fish and Game. And, uh, Randy, now it's my understanding you're, you are a herpetologist, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, I am a biologist for the department, and I do work a lot with herps, um, although I, I mess around with other things, too. Okay, fair enough. Now, uh, basically, I wanted to talk to you today about uh, the fear of snakes and why some people fear them, some don't, you know, basically the whole gambit of uh, your experience out there <clears throat> within the field, because I'm sure you get called on, you know, anytime there's a snake involved, you know, in somebody's yard or what have you. So, in your opinion, where did... Where did uh, where did humans come up with this fear of snakes from, do you think? Yeah, I've, 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 I've pondered this on and off over, I guess, many years, and I, I think so many people have, and it's a, it's a really um, intriguing aspect of, of humanity, but I don't think it's unique to humanity, and uh, uh, it seems to me that this probably goes back much, much, much further oh. and has a lot more to do um, with uh, some kind of primeval uh, state as opposed to just being um, just general ignorance uh, you know, amongst humans. Mm. Okay. Fair enough. Now, uh, do you think it can be tied to a specific culture as far as, like, looking at it? Because I know, you know, Native Americans seem to um, have less fear of a snake versus, like, European cultures. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I know that uh, there are... Uh, you know, lots of references to uh, snakes and, and um, you know, um, basically painting them as, as evil characters, I mean, you know, from biblical times right. and before onwards. And, 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 in fact, you know, I, I, uh, in the Old Testament it talk, talks about, you know, how wondrous it is seeing a snake move, you know, across the rocks. Right. And, um, and so there's lots and lots of references to these through literature, but there, I think that there's, I think that, in some cultures, mm-hmm. just like bats are a good example, you know, these animals can play different roles, and it's a largely a matter of education. So 
Thatcher widely feared and disdained here in, in the U.S. And, Very and, true. and likewise, in, uh, in Asia, they're symbols of good luck and good fortune. And, and so I think huh. snakes in some of these other cultures uh, can play different roles. But again, it's a matter of, of, of cultural norms, education, and, and attitudes that are handed down or uh, conveyed from one person to another or generations to another uh, about what that animal represents and what it is. Oh, very interesting. So it's almost like a learned or uh, or a taught behavior then. I, th I think it is. I think that huh. this innate fear of snakes is pretty widespread and goes pretty deeply. And and um, and a good example of that is that uh, primates um, universally dread snakes, uh, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, right. They really, really are afraid of them. So monkeys have all these very specific uh, reactions and calls and behaviors associated with snakes. Um, so do many of the other primates. And uh, birds have this, and many, many other animals have this, too. So, you know, that would be, uh, when I think about it, I think about how pervasive it is throughout so many different organisms that are so different from each other on this planet, and, and how strongly ingrained it is in us. And it seems to me like this must be a very ancient and old fear, which makes me think about what kind of role snake must have played as predators right. and what kind of influence they must have had on all these forms of organisms throughout their entire de developmental history. Right, right, very definitely. Now, speaking of developmental history and um, taking into development very lightly, what are some of the legends that you've heard in reference to snakes? Because you've traveled... You know, you're not just stuck in Arizona. You've actually done some, you know, field studies on some various different species and things of that nature. So what are some of the legends that you've heard in regards to snakes? Well, you know, of course there's a lot of the uh, um, homeopathic aspects of snakes and, mm. and whatnot. And so when we're over in Southeast Asia doing some of the, the things we've been doing in Vietnam and uh, projects over there, uh, we see a lot of that. And, um, and even though they're things like snake wine and whatnot, like mm -hmm. uh, those type of, uh, of uh, products have lots of other different organisms in there. All those organisms represent different things and have different healing powers. And snakes are supposed to have many, many powers for healing and um, all the way from uh, different rheumatoid um, and uh, joint problems to mm -hmm. aphrodisiac type things, depending on what, kind of, what part of the snake is... Uh, is consumed, and those are the things that we generally uh, hear or see when we're there. Mm -hmm. um, although uh, most people, uh, just like they are in uh, here in the United States and other other places that we travel, are, are deathly afraid of most snakes. And I and I think part of that goes back to this lack of understanding that we talk about, and also I think part of that goes back to them not being able to identify which snakes are dangerous and not. So. Uh, uh, overly mm. cautious approach to any serpent takes place. I know that I've kind of gone full circle again. <laughs> oh, no. back on that why people are afraid of snakes. I'm sorry about that. No, no, definitely. No, that's what we appreciate. Now, as far as um, being able to identify snakes, now, um, for instance, you know, because we have listeners internationally, of course, but for the most part in the United States, is there a general, you know, way to visually tell someone to, you know, okay, this is an okay snake and this is a not okay snake? 
Yeah, well, you know, here in Arizona, where I live, it, it, it's very easy because basically, yeah. if it has a rattle, it's it, it's dangerous, and if it doesn't, it's not. Even our coral snake um, is very different than the eastern coral snake, and has never been responsible for a human death. So when it really comes down to it, oh, we wow. don't even we don't even consider that a dangerous snake. Um, and the only way you can get bitten by it is to handle it. Um, and right. So so we don't we don't see problems with that. So it's very easy for us. You know, when you get over into the Southeastern United States start dealing with copperheads and things. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different game, but that whole overall Bo- Boy Scout mentality of you know a triangle-shaped head and elliptical pupils and stuff really right. leads nothing to nothing but confusion and uh, and frustration. I think for most people because they're looking for characters that are so variable and so widely displayed throughout uh, serpent and fauna around the world that mm-hmm. that. It's just it's just misleading and and uh, and has probably done a great disservice to to many people. Right, right. Now, how did you actually come about to be involved in uh, herpeticulture or herpetology at all? Oh, gee, you know, I was just one of those kids that uh, uh, brought home everything they could catch, <laughs> and 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 snakes and lizards and frogs and toads were just some of those unfortunate organisms that were easy for me to catch. And, and then as uh, as things progressed. Uh, just uh, that interest just continued, and and um, I became more and more interested in them and a lot of other organisms too. But reptiles and amphibians in particular. Um, when I was young, I'm an old guy now. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, there, there were not a lot of people doing this. And, no. Uh, and so it was kind of like you know, amount of information out there was was rather off, and and getting. And learning about snakes was was just a, a lot of fun. Very, very interesting, very intriguing. Yeah, very definitely. Now, speaking about, you know, uh, now and then, as far as time frame is concerned, you know, a lot of people weren't doing it back then. You know, people like uh, some of the folks that I've spoken with, like Bob Applegate, Bob Mayhew, you know, some of the originators of this industry, you know, that we know today. Do you think more people are being coming... Uh, comfortable handling, quote unquote. Uh, I want to say quote unquote dangerous snakes, but I don't want to. <laughs> I want to return that somehow so it doesn't come across the wrong way. You know, like large or venomous animals. Do you think people are becoming more uh, apt to be dealing with those, or do you think they're just kind of winging it? Well, I, I think there's a tremendous upsurge of interest in reptiles in mm-hmm. general and, and amphibians to a lesser degree, and, and snakes in particular when we talk about reptiles. So okay. um, I think people that are interested in snakes find a great deal of mystique and fascination in them, and, and, uh, and, and I think part of that comes from the fact that they are, they are so unusual when we talk about organisms on this planet. So this kind of goes back to that psychological stuff again, but I was thinking Very definitely. The other day, what really separates snakes from everything else, and it's the lack of limbs. And so, all these other organisms, even fishes, have a very strong um, uh, paired limbed or appendages. And there's very few organisms that are that defy this basic plan for the planet with these limbs or appendages, fins or whatever you, you will. Huh. Um, on the, here, and, and snakes are one of those organisms. Not that they don't show bilateral symmetry. But they, right. but they, but they don't have these limbs, and that's really something that's, that's not unique, but is very um, unusual when we come right. to the plan here on on this planet or for life on this planet. 
regardless of, of what interests people, the amount of people that are dealing with snakes and keeping snakes and, and other reptiles and amphibians uh, has grown drastically. And I had heard at one time a few years back it had eclipsed um, uh, dogs and cats in interest and interest and only was second to, I think, uh, Aquarius. Um, whether wow. that's still true or whether that was true at the time, I'm not certain. But no doubt, you know, there's a tremendous amount of interest. There is a trend for uh, people keeping more and more venomous snakes, and and mm-hmm. very and uh, and the more venomous, the better. And I find that rather disturbing because there's so many interesting things that you know won't kill you or put you in the hospital if you mess up. And I see quite commonly people handling uh, venomous snakes quite casually and uh, and improperly. In other words, mm-hmm. free, free handling. Uh, dangerous snakes, and that's that's a very very disturbing trend. And I don't know if we can trace that back to the crocodile hunter, but I think he has a lot to do with it, or had a lot to do with it. And, um, and I would actually completely and one hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I, I think it's a really scary thing. And right now in Arizona, the average snake bite costs about a hundred thousand dollars to treat. And so I get I get kids or young people coming to me on a fairly frequent basis saying, oh, I want to keep a rattlesnake. I want to do this and that. Sure. And the first thing I always wonder is, how good is their insurance? Yeah. And, then, and then I always try to discourage them away from it. And, and these animals are incredibly fascinating. There's so much we need to know, and there's so many wonderful researchers out there doing marvelous things with these snakes and, and teasing out all these intricacies about them. But this, um, this, tr- this trend to keep venomous snakes and dangerously venomous snakes from all over the world right is i i think it's a i think it's a growing issue and i think it may soon become a, a very big problem right a bit too much too soon mm-hmm. right yeah cause, you know and i'll be honest with you randy i at one time free handled rattlesnakes and then uh you know long story short here uh my a friend of mine my partner at the time because we used to do presentations for cub scouts and things Went to the doctor as a normal, you know, routine uh, physical or what have you, and he just happened to ask the doctor, you know, doc, just theoretically, how much would it cost if I got bit? And at that time, and this is a number of years ago, he said $15,000. Needless to say, right after that doctor's appointment, we went out and picked up hooks, tongs, (laughs) anything you could possibly think of to keep those snakes away from us. No, you know, and it's it's just intelligence uh, uh, to avoid that, and I I think you can... Like so many dangerous things, you can get away with it for a long time. And, I'm sure you and, could. And, and many people can get away for, with it for a long, awfully long time. But eventually, it comes unraveled, and when it does, the consequences are, are, are potentially devastating. And, uh, you know, Ioannidis, um, you know, that South African fellow that had uh, wrote that book, Snake Man, and a couple other things, mm-hmm. his big thing was free handling puff adders and cobras and all kinds of other venomous snakes and that mm. was his big deal taming him down but he got bit on a fairly regular basis and and um and so um uh, uh anyway it's it's just an incredibly dangerous thing to do and uh and i think most people don't realize just what the potential dangers are because even though you're likely to survive the bite of any North Americans, well, I shouldn't say any North American, any of the species that we have here in the United States, right. there, there are a few things around the world where the, the odds are, are far greater that you're going to come to a bad end right. uh, than, uh, than, uh, than come through it you know, relatively unscathed. 
for sure. Now, do you think uh, in this growing trend that we're seeing in the keeping of venomous reptiles, do you think there's something psych you know psychologically there that there's something to prove, or do you think it's just you know kind of the cool thing to do, or what do you, what do you think is driving this this trend to own these you know venomous snakes in our houses? I, I think there's probably a lot of things, and I. Uh, you know, not being a psychologist, just oh, being sure. a biologist, I, I, you know, I can't really comment on it okay. uh, to some, uh, to any in-depth degree. But I, what I can say is that many of these snakes are incredibly beautiful, and, and oh, certainly, you know, working with some of these things in Africa and Asia and uh, Central America and through Mexico, and of course here in my own backyard, mm-hmm. I think these things are just sometimes just breathtakingly beautiful. We just got to step back and and just just say, my gosh, that's, a, that's an absolutely stunning animal. That being, and, and of course, that's got to be an allure, because we all love these marvelous and beautiful and unique things. But then I think it goes on to many different levels, and I think there's probably a ton of different motivations for keeping these things, and some of it probably has to do with machismo and ego. Some of it probably has to do with poor judgment. Mm-hmm. Some of it probably has to do with uh, just sheer fascination and the uh, idea that, oh, I'm smarter than to ever get bit, it'll never happen to me, or, or who knows, you know, there's probably yeah. a million different reasons uh, for, for keeping these things, and, and, uh, and um, you know, many of them are probably very pure and sincere, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and so it's, you know, who, who can tell, you know? Right, right, very definitely. All right, well, uh, Randy, I do appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with us tonight. And uh, hopefully one day we can have you uh, back on the show and do uh, another part of our series, which is called Interview with an Expert. We can actually talk to you about, you know, your experience growing up and the times that you've had keeping snakes and what you're keeping now and, you know, talk a little bit more in depth about you personally so we can get a little background on you and, you know, find out Uh, what you're up to. (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd be happy to. And there you have it. That was Mr. Randy Babb of the Arizona Fish and Wildlife Department. And uh, that concludes our Fear of Snakes series. We do uh, sincerely hope that you enjoyed it. I know we did, uh, tremendously so. Learned a lot. And uh, look forward to getting Randy back on the show sometime in the future here. Um, I know he's traveling, or going to be traveling, uh, chasing snakes uh, somewhere out of the country uh, relatively soon here. So hopefully we'll get him back on the show when he gets back. And uh, once again, do check us out at uh, herphousemag.com. Pick up your own issue. Um, a lot of great articles in there about natural history, captive care, just really great magazine. And, uh, of course, leave some comments in the blog, uh, show notes, what have you. Let us know what you think, folks. We'd love hearing back from you. Rate us up on iTunes. Uh, but most of all, just leave us some comments. Let us know what you think of the series. Let us know, you know, who do, who should we interview? Let us know. What do you guys want to hear? Um, ben Lancaster actually uh, let us know he wanted more science, uh, more of a scientific aspect. So we're working on that right now. Um, But yeah, give us some comments, let us know what you think, and we will see you next time in the Reptile Living Room. (laughs) 